So as we uh, continue through the colors of salvation, and again, just to let you know, we do have um, some of these little bookmarks in the back, and they're sort of in the order that we've been going through. If you haven't gotten one or need another one, please take one, because what this is is uh, just a tool to help us as we witness to others to share Christ uh, with others that are around us. And it's always an important thing to do, and many times I think as, uh, as Christians we sort of um, draw blanks. We don't really know how to present, and so that's sort of what we've been trying to go through the last several weeks is how to um, share the gospel with those. And, and so one of the things I tell people is don't always ask people if they're Christians because everybody believes they're a Christian. They, they think because they've gone to church, they think because uh, somewhere in Sunday school they've learned about Jesus uh, that they're a Christian. But I, I like to make it more personal about do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been born again? We can ask that. But we want to make it where we're really spurring on a conversation. We want to, as we present these things, leave the door open for questions and to really challenge them as they're going through things. And so as we do this, um, again, there's a lot of resources out there, but these are some of the things that, that we bring up to people to make sure that they understand what salvation is about. Because for many, um, it's, you know, I was confirmed or I went through a catechism or I joined a church or... I was baptized, and some even think because they've walked an aisle uh, that that makes them uh, a Christian. And though those things are, are good things to do, um, we are saved by grace through faith, uh, not of works, lest any of us can boast. And so when we come to Christ, we really need to understand a few things. And as we've talked about it over the last few weeks, so here's our quiz. What does black represent? Sin. sin. Black represents sin. So we want to make sure that uh, and if you're sitting here today and, and you haven't made that decision, I mean, we're looking at those things too. We need to understand that we're sinners. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. Um, as we've used in our scripture here in Isaiah uh, 59, 2, it says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden your face from him so that he does not hear you. Sin separates us from God. And so when we're talking about do you have a relationship with God? We know a relationship is an intertwining. So when you have a relationship with your wife or a friend or your children, it means that there is an interaction that is going on. But sin separates us from God. And so it's important that a person understand that it is that sin that has separated us from God. And so then what does red represent? Blood, the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no remission of sins. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He shed his blood. He became the perfect lamb without sin or blemish. He became sin for us. And he didn't love us and he didn't go to the cross once we had attained something. But while we were yet sinners, why we were the enemies of him, why we were the enemies of the cross and all that God stood for, that is when Jesus came, that is when he died for us. So the blood of Jesus Christ was shared as the new covenant. We went through that last week. And when we go through our Lord's table, we talk about that or communion. We talk about this is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new promise he is saying in my blood that we're no longer bound by the sacrifices of the Old Testament, but Jesus was that perfect lamb and he was our once and for all 
uh, payment for that. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And he's made that uh, personal for us. So we know that we're sinners. And we know that there's only uh, blood that can pay that sin. And we also found out that our actions, our sinfulness, um, impacts other people. So again, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a friend, sin in my life is going to impact those around me. And so we need to understand that too, that in our sin and in this gift that Jesus is offering us, that the way that we live, the things that we do, the way that we treat others, it impacts a whole circle of people. It's just not you. But it's a, a thing that can affect many people over and over again. And so Romans tells us in 6.23, uh, though the sin of man, Adam, or through the sin of man, Adam, death came to the world. But then Paul goes on to say, God's grace comes through one man, Jesus Christ. And so that's the gift that he has offered us. And as we present this to people, we say, you know what, it is sin that has separated us. It was the sin of Adam, the sin of disobedience that separated us from God. But it was the righteousness of Christ that has provided that bridge, that has provided us a way to become reunited with him. And so in 521, 2 Corinthians 521, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That's the picture when you think of Calvary. That's the picture when we think of Jesus on the cross. He was without sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our righteousness is, is nothing that we do. Romans again will tell us that our righteousness is a filthy rags. Sometimes we think because we do good deeds that we are earning favor, or we're earning points on the way to heaven. But again, it's by grace. Our righteousness is, is of nothing to God unless it is done in him. The only things that we have of value in our life are those things that are done because of what Christ has done in us. And then we talked about gold or yellow. What did that represent? Heaven. That's the promise. That's the gift. That's the sort of the light at the end of the tunnel as we look at these things. We can get pretty down thinking, why would God want to save me? As you're sharing with people, sometimes, you know, like I say, through the prison as I'm working with people, they've done some horrendous things. And some of us have done some horrendous things. But their question a lot of times is, why would God want to forgive me after what I've done? We can all think of that in our life because we've all fallen short. We've all missed the standard, missed the mark that, that Christ has for us. And so people ask that question, why would God want to do that? Well, it's because of his love for you. Even the vilest of sinners, the Bible tells us, were made in the image of God. God created us in his image. And so when we look and when we're talking and sharing that with others, it's that God loves you. Even though you haven't loved him, even though you haven't been pursuing him, maybe you're not even pursuing him right now, but he's pursuing you. He is after you. His Holy Spirit is, is after you. God will never give up on anybody as long as they have breath in their life. And so we see heaven. Heaven is a, a wonderful place. It's the, it's the reward for those to be in the presence of God. We said uh, it was like 270 sometimes that it is mentioned in the New Testament alone. We know it's the place where we're going to be face to face with Jesus in his presence for all eternity. And even though this life seems long sometimes, uh, it's just a vapor compared to all eternity. But all eternity, we are going to be with him. And so heaven is a place of no more, as we talked about. 
There's going to be no more pain, no more suffering, no more you know, agony, no more stuff that just clutters our minds and, and pollutes us. There's going to be none of that that goes on anymore. And we're going to be in this place of, of uh, just total bliss to be in the presence of God. And it says we cannot imagine by, by our eyes or our ears or our senses what heaven is going to be like. So whatever the best that you can imagine that heaven would be like, it's going to be better than that. Amen. And so that's the promise that God has given us. And so this is the goal that we have when we're witnessing the people. This is what Christ has saved us for. He hasn't just saved us so we can just go about living our own life, but he saved us to be conduit, to be um, vessels or tools in his hand in the rest of the world to bring more people to Christ. And so when we show people and tell people this great place that God has for all eternity for us, we are sharing that reward. And then we talked about white. What was white? Purity. White is purity. And so purity was defined as this, freedom from anything that contaminates. And we talked about how important purity is to God. God desires that for us. Somehow in this world today, we've, we've sort of polluted the church where we think, you know, if I just say this prayer, I can continue to live as I want. I can continue to do what I want. I can continue to think what I want or say what I want. But really, we learn about God and God is pure. God is pure, Okay. We're not. We're contaminated. Our pureness, our righteousness comes through Jesus Christ alone. So when we seek this purity, and what does Jesus say? Be holy as I am holy. We say, well, I can't do that. That's God. How can I do that? You know what he would say? You're right. You can't do that. But Paul would say in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. And so when we have the Holy Spirit in our life, when we're walking in his way and in his word, when we are forsaking sin... That means we're recognizing it in our life and we're no longer, longer submitting to it, but we are um, battling it and we're turning from it. That's repentance. We find ourselves getting more and more in the form that Christ would have us to be. So God understands our failures. He understands our shortcomings. Um, but God also says this, that we have a responsibility to live for him. When we come to Christ as, as our Lord and our Savior, and you can look up those two words because they have different meanings. Savior means he saved us. That's pretty simple. Lord means that he governs over us. Amen. Okay. So when we're looking at our life and we say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I want to ask you, is he really your Lord and Savior? Okay, maybe he saved you, but is he Lord over your life? And so a lot of times we promote the salvation. Salvation, very important thing to, to have in your life. It's the only thing that's going to get you to heaven. But is he also Lord of your life? Does he govern in your life? And so a pure life is one where sin no longer determines the choices we make. So before you were saved, you know, the world does this and we accept that. We just say, oh, everybody else is doing it. We do it. It's the normal. It's the standard. I mean, if you watch the news today, if you listen to politics today, they talk about, you know, what the people want and what this wants. And we don't talk about God's word and what God wants. God has a holy standard. Right? God has a way that he desires for us to live. Sin no longer determines what the believer does. Okay? Sin is there knocking at the door. Sin is there trying to tempt us and woo us and lead us away. But really, when we have Jesus in our life, we have the Holy Spirit in our heart, we know we are convicted by those things. And then we then have a choice. 
to follow him. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, right? That's a song we sing. We keep our eyes on him. We follow him in what he has to say. So we do know that sin is the corrupter of purity. So in 1 John, it talks about when we sin and we will sin. And he says, if you say that you're without sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So John was being very clear about uh, the reality of our life. Our life is this, we battle sin. The, life, uh, the reality of life is this, is that we still have a sin nature in us. We still are going to have those temptations. But he says when we do fall that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we repent of those sins. And so when we find these impurities in our life that have corrupted us, we've given into them, we've chosen to do them. I don't like to say like we've been blindsided by them because many times we choose to sin, really, if you think about it. And when we find ourselves in that situation and we read God's word and his Holy Spirit is convicting us of those things, we repent of those. We go to him. We go to the Father, Father, I'm sorry, I've blown it. And I've I've done things that are not according to your will and not according to your plan. and, and, And they're an offense to you. They're that blackness that we talked about in the beginning. Father, I'm purposing in my heart to go the other way. Give me the strength. Give me the wisdom. Forgive me, Lord, of my sins. It's not forgive me because I got caught. It's forgive me of my sin, of the sin that is in my life. And so impurities we know are going to keep us away from the presence of God. And so being a pastor for a lot of years and a Christian, and we've probably all seen this, when people begin to dabble back in the world and when they begin to get sucked back into the world systems or if they don't want to forsake sin in their life, we'll see them drift away. We see them drifting away from Reading God's word, we'll see him drifting away from a Christian fellowship. We'll see him drifting away from the church. Because every time they are in those positions of reading the word or having Christian fellowship or, or being in the house of God, we're convicted of things in our life. And so when we come to the Lord's table, many times I put that challenge out to people. If you have those things in your life that you know don't belong there, purpose in your heart to go the other way. And so that's what God would require us to do, to have his righteousness in our life. He wants to forgive us of those sins. He wants to make us pure. And in uh, Psalms 24, who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so we know that God's desire is for us to have a, a walk that is worthy of the calling that he has called us to do. Now I say that with this. None of us should be boastful about what we are or who we are or maybe because, you know, maybe our life is a little bit better than somebody else. It's by the grace of God. Amen. It's by his mercy in our life. And so, you know, it tells us pride comes before the fall. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. But my position in Christ, I can boast about my position in Christ because it is him who wants to keep me pure and wants to help me with my walk. And so the scriptures would say in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that we must have Christ's righteousness credited to our account to be righteous in him. And so purity, again, should define our thought life. It should define uh, the words that we speak. It should define the things that we do. And so when we go through things, I remember... I knew a guy that um, had professed Christianity, but every now and then he'd say, well, here, Pastor, I'm going to have a little trucker talk with you. And then he'd have to sort of talk like a trucker. And it was like, 
Why do you have to do that? That's not God. Well, you know how it is. You and I, we've been around the same block. We may have been around the same block, but you're on a different bus than me because I've tried to put that stuff out of my life, out of my way, out of my mouth. So, you know, when we see these things, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we want our heart to be right with God. We sing that hymn also, Is Thy Heart Right With God? And we need to ask ourselves that question all the time. Because in our life, the impurities are going to come in. The temptations are there. The thoughts are there. The thought to gossip. The thought to talk about somebody else. Just a thought of thinking something maybe even negative about somebody else that shouldn't be there. When we have those things, we need to ask ourselves, Lord, is this what I should have in my life? And if it's not, we repent of those things. And so now we're on to the last few colors in blue. What do you think blue is for? Nobody knows. Baptism. Water. That's why they have it blue, right? Blue stands for water baptism. Water baptism is an important thing. Water baptism does not save. Clarify that. But it is an important thing. It really should be the first step of obedience in a Christian's life. If you're reading through the New Testament, you'll see many times when people came to Christ, almost immediately, if not immediately, they were baptized. And so baptism is is an outward demonstration that we have accepted Jesus Christ. It's a public testimony to the world. So back in biblical days, to be baptized was, was really a big deal because there was a lot of peer pressure not to. It was something against the Jews. The Romans didn't understand it. Many people didn't understand it. Now you are identifying with uh, Christ. And again, the world didn't want people to identify with Christ. They were warring against Christians. So we really are, are really saying that we are identifying with Jesus Christ, uh, that we have accepted him, that his sacrifice was for our lives and that we have now decided to live for him. And so when these people in the New Testament would file out to get baptized, they were really putting a lot on the line. They could have really been putting their their safety on the line because maybe there was people that wanted to harm them. It meant sometimes separation from family because if you came from a, a Jewish background, they didn't want you in there anymore. You have just betrayed that faith. It could mean that you lost your livelihood. If you were a worker within that town, and if it was predominantly Jewish or predominantly something else, and and you chose to uh, follow Jesus, they may say, I'm not doing that with you. I'm not working with you or using your services anymore. And you would be shunned for being a Christian. And so when they were doing it, it was a big step for them. Peter told us, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And so when we look at that in Acts and as the church was growing and Peter tells us, repent and be baptized. We know there's a lot of scriptures. We went through this um, just several weeks ago when we had a lot of people that had committed their lives and and got a public testimony of their baptism. You know, we know what the Bible tells us about it. It's an important thing to have this. And it says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through this. That's not just through the baptism. That's through our salvation. When you are saved, it says that God gives you the Holy Spirit in your life. But the thing is, is in the New Testament, it was just like one right after the other. If I got saved, it was like, let's go get baptized. And and it was all like one big thing that was just happening sort of right away. And so Peter found it very important. That was in Acts 2. And Christian baptism is really one of two ordinances that are given in in the New Testament. Baptism is one. The Lord's table is the other. 
And so Paul teaches us about when we come together and, and observe the Lord's table, we're doing that as an evaluation of our life and looking and remembering what Christ has done, looking forward to his return when he comes. And then there's the baptism. And so I would say baptism is probably the, the easiest step of obedience that us as Christians will ever do. Because God will call you as Christians to some pretty hard things sometimes in life. You may need to take a stand at work. You may need to, you know, take a stand in your family sometimes. Being a Christian, you can be ostracized for a lot of things. Just look at what's going on in the world today. If you say, you know, I believe marriage is a man and a woman. I believe if I'm born a boy, I'm going to grow up to be a man. If you stand up for these things, a lot of people in the world are going to condemn you. And those are things of obedience. When we believe that the Bible says do this or don't do that, they're tough things because the world is going the total opposite way. So many times baptism is the easiest thing that we will ever do, but it should be one of the first steps of obedience that we do. And just before Jesus' ascension, he gave us that great commission, right? And told us this, go and make disciples of all nations. He's talking to the church here. He says, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and make students of God's word. That means that as a church, we try to encourage people to get into the word of God, to read the word of God, to study the word of God, to get involved in Bible studies, to do devotions, to spend time in prayer. We want to make disciples. So he says, make disciples of all nations. The very next thing, baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And so Jesus himself gave us this very uh, narrow uh, instructions for the church to do what we need to do. And he says, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. The church is responsible to uh, really teach Jesus' word, to teach the word of God and to encourage people to be obedient to the word of God and to follow God's word and be by making them disciples. Um, it says they're to be done everywhere. That means all nations. It's not just America. It's not just Baptists. It's not just non-denominational. No, he's teaching us to do this to all nations. Wherever Christ is preached, we teach these very fundamental things. And if for no other reason, the reason we do it is because Jesus commanded it. And we are to obey what God has said. Um, Christian baptism means when a person makes a public faith, public profession of that faith. And so when we had our baptism, people are down there. Some people give testimony, some don't, but it's a public profession of saying, I've decided to follow Jesus. I want to walk in obedience to him in his word and what he says. Really, in a sense, it's almost done wordlessly. So wordlessly, uh, one commentator said this, I confess faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus has cleansed my soul from sin. And now I have a new life of sanctification, meaning I have been set apart. You're professing him as Lord and Savior. The thing in the New Testament, when they did that, there was now accountability. Other Christians would see these people coming and doing that. And they now knew that there was accountability, that there was fellowship, that there was church family that goes on there. And so when we do that, it's the very same thing. We profess those things, and now we can encourage and walk together in those things. And so everywhere where the gospel is preached, it tells us that we are to be baptized. So blue is an important thing, too, to tell people it's the next logical step. You want to make a public testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Our final color is green. Green represents Christian growth. 
And so when we think of green, a lot of times we just think of growth. We're sort of in fall now where things are, are dying down. But in the spring, it's awful nice when we start seeing that green that, that happens. And so this green is growth. He really tells us that we should be growing as Christians, right? You know, if you were to have a, a baby and, and the, the baby never changed, we would say something isn't right, right? Because normally babies grow and babies change and things, you know, they put on weight, they get taller, they do this, they do that. But there's always something happening in our life. As Christians, it should be the very same thing. We should be growing. Things should be changing in our life. We should never remain where we're at. And Jesus will meet us wherever we're at. When we, when we start out, he'll meet us no matter where we're at. But from that point, there should be change going on in your life. The question is, is are you growing? Becoming a Christian isn't just like a check mark in a box. It isn't just something, well, I guess I got that out of the way. I'm on my way to heaven. It's not about that. But it's about growing in his grace, growing in his mercy, learning more about what he has. It's a lifetime commitment and it's a lifetime walk. Our eternal life starts the moment that we're saved. But as long as he gives us breath on this life, it's that lifetime commitment. It's not just an event that happens once. It's an ongoing process. Our, our relationship with Christ, our sanctification in Christ is an ongoing process and it's something that he tells us that we need to do. Are you hungering and thirsting for what Jesus really has in your life? For your family, for your children, for your community? Are you really hungering and thirsting after what he has? You know, Paul and some of the Corinthians, he said, you know what? You should be eating meat by now, but I have to go back and give you milk. He was really telling them, you haven't developed. You're not, you're not growing in what God has for you. We want to grow in Christ. We want to be used to the fullest ability. Colossians, and I should say, uh, starting next week, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. So if you want to start reading ahead, uh, get in Colossians, that's fine. But in Colossians, uh, the first chapter, it says, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And so when we take that, that last verse there where it says, I labor, striving according to his working in me. And so it says my desire, my desire, my heart is to learn more about what God has for me. My desire, my heart is, is to see scriptures more clearly. I want to be uh, more intentional in my walk and in my effectiveness in reaching others. I don't just want to sit back and be a, an armchair Christian, you know. I do that with football. I can sit back, I can watch a football game, and, well, why did he do this, or why did he do that? Well, he's got like four 300-pound men chasing after him. That's why he's doing what he's doing. I'm sitting in a chair. I don't want to be a Christian that just sits back and says, well, you should be doing this, and you should be doing that. I want to be, as James would say, a doer of his word, not a hearer only. Many in the world today and many in the church today are just hearers. Do you want to make a difference in your family? Do you really want to make a difference? Then do what God's word says. You want to make a difference in your workplace? Then you share what God would have you to share and the opportunities that he brings to you. You want to make a difference in your church? Be an encourager. Follow God's word and apply God's word to how we should live. God will grow us. and He's the one that gives us life. He's the one that is going to grow us. So it says, him we preach. 
Once you just get your eyes on him and start following him, the rest is natural. It's just, it's a natural thing. We begin to grow as we spend time. But you know what Satan's going to tell you? You're too busy to, to get in the word today. You're too busy for prayer. I'll get my devotion later tonight. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll call that person that God's laid on my heart tomorrow when, when things slow down. See, Satan is a procrastinator. He wants us to procrastinate. Jesus wants us to do. When God lays it upon our heart, he says he will give you the ability, he will give you the strength to do those things. So in Galatians 5, and this is where we're going to sort of end out today, there's two lists. And the first list is the list of the acts of the flesh. So when we talk about growth, I really just wanted to close out with really showing the contrast of, of God's word and what we have. And so in Galatians 5, uh, 19 to 21, it talks about these acts of the flesh. And these are uh, things that are identified in our lives really before we knew Christ for salvation. And so um, as we go through this, let me just see. Now the works of the flesh, it says, are evident. Verse 19, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so these are the acts of the flesh. These are the things that the world is involved in. This is the things that we were involved in before we came to Christ. The thing is also, as it tells us, is if we are involved in those things yet, that we really need to check our heart with God. We need to repent of those things. The acts of the flesh are the activities that are to be confessed to God. These are the things that we are to purge from our life, to get out of our life, and we need to repent, and with God's help, overcome. Some people say, you know what, the temptation's too great, the, the, the strain is too tough, and whatever it is that we are there. Is that an excuse for you to continue in that? Because God says that he will strengthen us. He says there is no temptation that is common to man. But when we are tempted, he will provide us a way out. See, we can come to him. So these are the acts of the flesh that, that we battled with before salvation. And these are the things that we are to put to death after salvation. And as we experience spiritual growth, uh, fewer and fewer, really, I believe, of these acts of the flesh um, are going to be evident in our lives. Amen. Now for some people when they get saved, some of that stuff is just wiped out right away. And I always say, you know, praise God for that. Some of us when we come to Christ, it's an uphill, it's an uphill struggle. Some of it can be because of our own struggles in our life. Uh, some of it can just be maybe it's the process of, of the sanctification that God is taking us through. Either way, we need to get rid of those things in our life. These are the things we need to confess of repent of and put to death in our life the second list is the fruit of the spirit these are the things that i think are great these are the things that as believers we need to really apply in our life and i will tell you if you are looking at these scriptures and you just say here's my goal today this is what i want to do you will grow in christ because these are his words and his word never returns void in our life and so the beginning at verses 22 what does it say but the fruit of the spirit is this love joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. It's not as extensive as a list as the sins of the world because sins are great. But these things, God says, focus on these things. You know, if we just were to focus more in our, our life about loving people, we may not always love what they do. We may not always love what they're, uh, how they act, but we need to love people. We need to have a love for people. The things that we do for Christ, we do because of the love that he had for us. And so he's called us to love people. So we love. It also tells us that we have joy. Sometimes you meet Christians, and man, they just got a pruned up face. And I don't know what their problem is, but God calls us to have a joy in our life. You know, my wife used to always say, you need to look at yourself in the mirror sometimes. I get deep in thought, and I probably look intense sometimes. Julie's always smiling. She's always got a smile on her face, right? We need the joy of the Lord, okay? And that's not just expressions on our face. The joy is something that's in us. Jesus has saved me. Jesus is, is, is my Lord and Savior. Blessed be, uh, who, who said that? What a beautiful day. Dave said that this morning. What a beautiful day we have. It's easy to say it's cold and windy and it's sort of dreary. You know, we get into that sometimes. But we find the joy of the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has given us. We find that joy in our life. What else? Peace, long-suffering, kindness. Never hurts to be kind to people. Just to give them a word of encouragement, a thank you or a, you know, you know whatever. Just a praise that we can give. Those are important things to do. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Do we treat people gently or are we sort of a taskmaster that like, why'd you do that for? You know, treat people the way that that you would want to be treated also. And so it says gentleness, self-control. Okay, we have troubles with that in the world today. Everybody just has to go off and do their own things. And, you know, but God tells us if you just say, I'm going to try this today. I just want to do this today. I guarantee you, you will grow in him. Because it tells us, against such things, there is no law. You are walking in the grace of God. You are walking in his mercy. You are walking in his love when you apply those things in your life. Spiritual growth is identified by the fruit of the Spirit becoming more evident in the believer's life each and every day. And so just to close out that, that chapter, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's not me saying this. This is God's word. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. That means those desires. That means that first list. Those things that, that maybe have a hold on you, that struggled with you. It means that you have crucified them. It means you have put them to death. You are claiming victory over those things in your life. And you walk in that newness of life that Christ has given to you. You put away its passions. You put away its desires. It says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Challenge today is as you share that with people, it's also a, a challenge to us. Are we walking in the spirit? We claim to live in the spirit. Are we walking in the spirit? Are we following Jesus? Are our eyes fixed upon him? My prayer is that they are. Let's pray.